0: Welcome to the Heart of Life podcast, sponsored by Riverbend Counseling in Colorado Springs. I am Brooke Small.
1: And I am Jesse Steffes. In this podcast, we dive into the heart of life's questions. This is not a substitute for mental health therapy.
0: However, our goal is to make healing accessible for as many as possible.
1: This week we are talking all about authenticity and aligning values, ordering our loves, and how to not feel like a big faker in our world.
0: (laughs) Our question for this week comes from a letter writer who says, Dear Heart of Life, I realized recently that I am a big fat faker. I lived most of my life thinking that I was one of the most authentic people I knew. Through a series of very educational and disappointing events, I learned that I was nothing of the sort. I try to make people think I'm smarter than I am. I pretend to have confidence in myself that I don't have. I am touchy about things that should not bother me. I am a big fat faker. Help.
1: Hmm. I'm thinking that the, you know, touching on last week's episode, the vulnerability that it would take for this letter writer to openly write about feeling like a fat faker Mm -hmm. is pretty powerful.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And I want I want to validate the experience because I think that many of us come to a point in our life where we recognize <clears throat> that the world outs, the, what we present to the world outside is not really what we're feeling in our inner world. Mm. And I want to validate, one, that that's really human. Nice. There's a reason that we do that. Yeah. And that it does take a lot of courage to come to a place where maybe we're secure enough, we're safe enough in our world that we can really start to look at that.
1: Mm.
0: What we do when we create an outer persona and and have that inner persona is, is really just about protection. And so as we navigate this letter with this writer, I want to come back to that idea that there's how we learned to be and there's who we are. Mm. And all of us at some point are going to bump in to those two things are going to collide for us. Yeah. And that's where the work and the growth and becoming happens.
1: Mm. As you, as you differentiated that between, you know, there's how we learn to be versus who, who we are, that really, I'm thinking about experiences in my life that I've had that I couldn't really explore until I felt safe enough to do so. hmm um, specifically surrounding like my very emotional self and that part of me that holds my tenderness and my sensitivity, which is a really big part of who I am. But so much of my world was about not being that way. And so the inside, the internal experience of emotionality and tenderness was very disconnected from the outside world and relationships and compliance, cooperation, um, easy to be with those kinds of things. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I can think of one very specific example. So for as long as I can remember, I have had this fear that I wasn't enough or I would be forgotten. I was forgettable. Mm. And so I created this outside persona where those things didn't bother me, and I could have fun, and I was always thinking of ways to entertain people. <laughs> but really, that was about trying to protect this really scared part mm. of me. And and maybe if somebody at that before I realized and began to heal that part of me, maybe somebody could have said, "Oh, she's such a faker."
1: Mm.
0: And, and maybe it was like faking it till you make it, right? Like
1: do it long enough, and it'll
0: maybe there yeah. was some of that, but mostly. That fear was so deep and so rooted that I was trying everything I could on the outside to keep myself from hurting.
1: Yeah well, and isn't isn't that why we fake things is because it doesn't feel real to us yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know and i'm th- I'm thinking for this letter writer, the idea of I try to make people think I'm smarter than I am. Where's the confidence level with your own assessment of how smart you are, right? Right And how, how or when did that get poked at that's causing this to be the thing that you need to project?
0: Right. The question of what happened to you rather than what's wrong with you. That's right. right. Getting curious. You and I talk about curiosity all of the time. And when we are in that space of recognizing that what the world sees is really not who we are, The question isn't what's wrong with me. I'm a big fat faker. It's not about calling ourselves names or even attaching shoulds. I should be this or I must be this. But it's about saying what happened along the way in my life Mm -hmm. that made me believe that I had to prove myself this way. What happened in my life that made me believe that I needed to be the life of the party so I wouldn't be forgettable, Mm. right? When when the truth is I hate parties. (laughs) I don't want to go to them let me teach you how to be an introvert
1: (laughs) you'll never go to another party in your life
0: (laughs) so part of the healing part of for me was to go way back and realize that there was this thing that happened to me in fifth grade Mm -hmm. right I hadn't done my homework I would just moved into this new city I didn't know anyone. The cutest boy in the class had asked me to be his girlfriend, which, you know, fifth grade boyfriend and girlfriend, that's like nothing. <laughs> it's like you go to research, recess and you just kind of look at each other. <laughs> but,
1: or maybe not. Or maybe
0: not, especially maybe not. Yeah. But I hadn't done my homework and I was already embarrassed because my teacher had told me, told everyone in front of the class that I had to stay in. Mm. So this message that I already had that I wasn't smart enough or good enough was flaring up anyway. And then all the kids come back in from recess, and this um, boy doesn't even look at me. And this girl, who I'm sure she's very nice now, (laughs) but she was not very nice then, leans into me and says, by the way, so-and-so is not your boyfriend anymore. He's going out with this other person. She probably serves subpoenas now. Probably, (laughs) probably she loves to make people here's some stay. bad news yeah <laughs> um in that moment i felt so embarrassed i just wanted to crawl under the table and mm. hide away forever and it felt so vulnerable and so exposing that i never wanted to be forgettable
1: mm.
0: again yeah right i never wa- i i felt like i had to be present and in front of someone For them to know so that's what happened to me Mm -hmm. how i learned to be safe within that um was pretty inauthentic to who i actually am right but it was a way of being safe and keeping that really tender part of me from getting touched
1: yeah well and you know as we experience things like that i think you know you said you were in fifth grade Mm -hmm. right And I doubt in fifth grade, you thought to yourself, I've just created a core memory and I'm going to live (laughs) this way through my life until, you know, later on when I (laughs) realized just a hop, skip and a jump. But I, I think that something our listeners can do, you know, on their own or that we facilitate in therapy. I mean, probably in every session Mm -hmm. is asking questions like, where do you think that first began? Mm -hmm. And this helps us float back to the experiences, like one of mine I remember as being very little, and um I was throwing a tantrum and so, in an effort to show me that that's not how my needs get met, my family moved to the other room mm-hmm. and I <laughs> laid on the floor and cried mm-hmm. what was what was attempting to be taught was like use your words, you know, communicate mm-hmm. what was installed was. Your emotions are too big for connection. Mm-hmm. And so later on, right, it's the outcome of like, okay, I can't be too emotional in relationships or mm-hmm. they'll leave. Right. Um, nobody knew that at the time, right?
0: N- and nobody intended that, of course, right? right? right. We, we would never intend to, to hurt our child. We're trying to teach a lesson about how to be in the world. You can't be right. 40 and throwing tantrums in the room. Like, yeah. It doesn't work that way but the reason most of the how we learn to be develops in childhood is because we are so egocentric mm-hmm. as children that's just developmentally who we are yeah that everything happens to us because of us and so when your parents left the room there isn't a there isn't a single part of you that's like oh i think they're trying to tell <laughs> me that i need to you know use my words and be yeah. whatever what you're thinking is they left because of me,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and as children we need attachment and connection. Right. It's not they left because of my emotions because as children our emotions are us. Yeah. Right. That's who we are. Yeah. So it becomes uh, a question about you personally that mm-hmm. you start to wrestle with. Yeah. And of course, the natural outgrowth of that is my emotions, me, are too much in a space that people will leave me, so I'm going to keep those tucked away and hidden.
1: Yes. well, and the, When we talk about what we tuck away and hide, it gets us into this conversation about parts mm-hmm. and the parts of ourselves that exist. And so, you know, in, in preparation, you and I talked a bit about, um, IFS, which I think we both quite delight in. Mm-hmm. Um, these, we can call these exiled parts.
0: Yeah, well, first let's clarify. IFS is a theory in counseling psychotherapy, mm-hmm. internal family systems, right? So when we're talking about internal family systems, we're looking at all the different parts of us. So all of the the Jessies that came up until this day yeah. are still a part of you, and those experiences are a part of you. And so when we're talking about parts work in individual therapy, we're looking at All the aspects of our personality and how they interact and in the same way that we would talk about a family system Mm -hmm. we talk about those systems internally and like what works and what doesn't what needs to be repaired what needs to come back into balance Mm -hmm. Um, and and that is that's the very surface (laughs) level theory (laughs) Of ISS IFS, so as we move through this and you begin to explain what the parts are, I want people to try and imagine that we're looking at a system within your personality. Mm-hmm. One of the things that when I first talk to my clients about this, there's always this kind of pushback. Like, what do you mean there are parts to my personality? Because parts to our personality has been really pathologized yeah. into, you know in movies and in media about multiple personality disorders and all sorts of things like that. And we are not talking about anything pathological. We're talking about something that is very human and a part of everyone's experience.
1: Exactly. And the, I think that's so important to really underline is that we all have parts and, Mm -hmm. and even for individuals, you know, who have dissociation and that that shows up in, in dissociative identity disorder there's, these are parts that are separated. And so, you know, hearing your therapist say you have parts means that they're good therapists, (laughs) (laughs) not that there's something wrong with you. And so thinking about the idea of, of our parts, it's like you said, this system that exists inside of us to help us navigate the world in a really beautiful way, Mm -hmm. or at least an adaptive and functional way. Right. Until it's maybe not anymore.
0: Right, because something happened to right. us, right? And to further illustrate the point, when we're talking even about disorders where parts have split, yes, even then that's a result of what happened to someone.
1: Right? And even then it can be highly functioning.
0: Right, and it is an adaptive response. It is an adaptive response to something abnormal that has happened. Right. So keeping in, keeping that in mind as well, that really our bodies... And our brains are always trying to protect and heal us, yeah. and sometimes that goes off the rails, and that there's there isn't a checks and balances sometimes for that, right? And right. so, d- when we think about parts work, when we think about what it means to be authentic, when we think about parts of our personality, what we need to remember is that we're not trying to get rid of anything; mm-hmm. we're trying to bring it all into balance, mm-hmm. right? So when we're, when we're born, we have our inside and outside self is the same self, right? <laughs> whatever's happening outside of us impacts who, who we are. Yeah. And what's happening inside of us is going to impact the world, right? That's yeah. just the way that is. But as we go through childhood... For Unfortunately for some, it happens early on before they even get to school. Mm. But especially once we get to school, we start to learn that there are parts of us that we need to be more protective of. Mm. And so we create strategies and ways of dealing with that. And that's where these parts of our personality really start to form.
1: Yeah. So so let's break down the Mm -hmm. parts um, because I think that will lead in really well to talking about... um, what this internal experience feels like when authenticity is not feeling accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to talk about firefighters and exiles, and I'm going to have you talk about managers. Okay. Um, So exiles are the parts of us that we have either intentionally, often unintentionally, and as a result of experiences, asked to go away. Um, Or they've been exiled, even without our knowledge. These are parts like... um, sometimes our younger selves, versions of our younger selves are more tender or emotional or sensitive selves. Um, Maybe selves that have experienced or held trauma for us. Um, These parts we can push away because they disrupt our ability to be in the world effectively. Um, Or at least it seems
0: as though they do. Or they seem unacceptable to other people.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Or, Or ourselves or both because yes. Of others. Mm -hmm. Um, Firefighters are the parts of ourselves that come in and make problems go away as quickly as possible, no matter the damage and the wreckage that it causes. And so when I talk to clients about these parts, I often use the example of self-harm or even thoughts of suicide as being firefighters, meaning um, they're ready to blow out the flame of a candle, but with a fire hose. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we don't need that much. Um, this can also be super dysregulated behaviors and relationships, mm-hmm. um, rage. It can be things that whatever, whatever needs to make the current moment stop completely without thought is a firefighter's job.
0: Right. Exactly. Just as if, I mean, we're sitting in our office building right now. Yeah. If, if the office building was to catch on fire, the fire fire department would come and they would put it out but they would not care about the collateral damage yeah they wouldn't care about the furniture they wouldn't care about the computers they wouldn't care about any of those things because they're just trying to make it go away and so with the firefighter response in our personality it is make it go away no matter the collateral damage right and the collateral damage is often us and -hmm. our relationships
1: yeah and, and we'll talk a little bit more too about the relationship between firefighters and exiled parts, but often when an exiled part is away, I think that fire hose is shot towards wherever they are to make sure they can't walk forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell us about managers.
0: So the manager part is the part of us that says never again, mm-hmm. right? So whatever caused the exile to be exiled... Whatever is tender and gets touched and maybe brings those exiles back up, the manager is there to say, this will never happen again. I will, we will never feel that way again. So, for instance, going back to what it felt like to, have, to be so small and embarrassed in my fifth grade class, My manager then came in and said, okay, we never want to feel that again. So this time we're never going to miss an opportunity to be in front of people. (laughs) (laughs) You don't get to say no to invitations. You don't get Mm. to disappoint people. You don't get to do anything like that because we don't ever want to feel that way again. So our manager can be hypercritical of us. Right, Mm -hmm. if I can see all the things that are wrong with me first before someone else does, then maybe it's not going to hurt like it did Mm -hmm. before. We can be judgmental Mm -hmm. of other people and ourselves, we can push people away and out of our lives. This the manager can be um, over the top type A. Where rigid. everything has to be rigid and controlled, um, we can be excellent advice givers as manager <laughs> in our manager state, because we're trying to push the problems out all the time mm-hmm. and not have to feel any of ours. Yeah. All right. I think it's important to say too that these parts—the firefighter and the manager and the exile—they actually all have really healthy functioning mm-hmm. in our lives when they're all in balance. Yeah. Right. So we do need a manager to say, hey, when you throw a tantrum as a 40 year old in the room, that doesn't that doesn't work very well. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's find a different way to be able to do that. Or we do have the manager that says, hey, these things are coming up and we need to plan and organize for those. And we need to be thinking about how our actions might be impacting other people or Mm -hmm. choices. The firefighter. That's the part of us that's going to say, we need some boundaries here because what just happened didn't feel good. And so we're going to need to create boundaries. We need to rest. We need to restore. We need to play. Yeah. All of those are really important. And even that exiled part, I can't bring my most tender part into every situation I'm in. Right. So there is space for the, for us to say, hey, I'm going to put you over here yeah. while I go have this hard conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that really brings in, you know, the this idea of of authenticity actually having more to do with which part of self shows up in different spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're exactly right, my most vulnerable self is not appropriate for the barista at Starbucks. Right. But maybe it is for my partner sometimes. Right. Um, So, you know, this touches again on the vulnerability aspect, but authenticity you know, as we do in most of our episodes is we, we also want to talk about what authenticity is not. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that's coming to my mind as we're circling around this is authenticity is not this idea of like, I'm, I'm, this is just who I am.
0: It's right. I just let it show up because it's who I am and you got to get over it. Right. You have to accept me or not the way that this, this is this behavior. That's just who I am.
1: Yeah. It, you know, there's this, um, my, my dad actually made this commentary once that that notion that goes around like if you can't accept me at my worst you don't ex- you know you don't deserve me at my best and my dad said do, when we really love people do we want them to have to accept us at our worst like do we want to be our worst with them mm-hmm. and I loved that idea because it's a call to is your worst self really in alignment with who you want to be in the world right um yeah so
0: well and and our worst self right the one that hurts other people or hurts ourselves isn't our self it's a part of our personality that's trying to protect us yeah right so so when we're in the space of what is authenticity and what is not part of why we're bringing it up IFS today is so that you can start to see that when we're authentic, it's that all of those parts are in alignment. Mm-hmm. They're aligned with our values. They're working in healthy, functioning ways in our life. When we're stuck in how we learned to be, we're not living authentically because we're in protection mode. Mm-hmm. We can't simultaneously be in protection mode and connection mode. Mm-hmm. So when, when we're at our worst, when we're raging, when we're angry, when we're all of those things and let me add a little bit here. Angry's okay. I'm not saying angry's not okay. But when our emotions harm other people, we can most certainly say that that is not our authentic self, that is our reactive yeah. self.
1: Yeah. Well, and this this brings up to the the part of IFS which is the core self mm-hmm. and this is this um other part it's not really a part but it's the the core self which is courageous and kind and congruent and um it's our untouchable self that no matter what happens our core is this beautiful goodness and it's the managers and firefighters and exile parts that are kind of swirling around this and so with with the balance, you know, of which you're speaking, it allows us to allow more of the core self to be forefront and shown. And that core self then can take over some of the management of here's who I need to show up in this environment, or here's who I need to show up today. Mm -hmm. Um, And that core self can show up more often, which I think is really kind of the epitome of authenticity is when we feel really secure in that core self.
0: Mhm. Rooted and grounded and know that the other parts, the exiled part, the manager and the firefighter, those are places we go depending on what the circumstances are. Yeah. Right.
1: And what we need.
0: Right. So it's still how we learned to be, but it's in alignment with our values. It's not reactive. It's responsive. Yeah. And it's all regulated from that really rooted and grounded core self rather yeah. than feeling what, you know, my clients and I often talk about this idea of feeling hijacked yeah. by our response. Yeah. When we're hijacked by our response, that's not authentic. That's reactive, right? right. Again, it's just coming from one of those parts of us that's trying to, to protect us.
1: So in that, you know, we brought values up several times and you and I very rarely talk about values detached from the idea of ordering loves. Mm-hmm. Um, we've even done workshops about it. And, uh, you know, as as we talk about this, I'm wondering if you can describe the idea of ordering your loves. I think we've all talked, you know, thought about values and value sorts, and we can get into that. But this idea of ordering our loves really takes it to a deeper
0: level. Sure. I was reading uh, several years ago a quote by St. Augustine, and he said that, Sin, and I'm going to uh, sin not in a religious sense, but in a way that we are living not authentically to ourselves, right? There is, there is incongruence in our life. It happens not because we're fundamentally flawed or because we are depraved or um, damaged, but it happens because we get our loves out of order. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if I value loyalty and friendship, And you come to me and you tell me something that is really tender and vulnerable and you ask me to keep that confidential. Well, that feels good to me because I value that. I value that loyalty and that friendship. But then let's say that I go to a dinner party and that that scared part of me kicks in. The Mm. manager that says, we're never going to be forgotten. We need to be important to all of these people. Well, that manager kicks in and I decide that in order for me to have the attention that I need in that space and to not feel so scared, I'm going to tell your story. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Well, now my loves are out of order because I put my love of popularity, of being accepted over my love of loyalty. And when Mm -hmm. I leave that night, I am going to feel terrible. And most likely, my firefighter is going to kick in, and I'm going to go numb out somewhere, or I'm going to go home and be really angry and irritable with my family, because what I'm feeling does not feel good. Yeah. Right. So when we're talking about values, none of none of them are good or bad. N- none of them are right, more right or more wrong than others. But it's the order that we live them that mm-hmm. makes the difference in how authentic we are, mm-hmm. right? So let's say, f- for instance, the writer here has told us that they value a couple things, right? They've told us that they value being smart mm-hmm. and, and being around smart people, and they value confidence, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So so those are important. My guess is those aren't top of the list important to this person, Yeah, and so when the writer finds themselves in situations where they are trying to be smarter than the other people in the room, or they are showing, you know, needing to look like they know, feel confidence in everything, my guess is the reason they they feel like a big fat faker when they leave is not because those things aren't important, but because they put them above other things that were more important. Yeah. So let's say that this person values discourse or conversation, but goes into a room and shuts everything down by looking like they know everything and the other person doesn't. Well, of course, that's not going to feel good. Yeah. That's going to feel protective. My guess is there's a story there mm-hmm. that says um, you're not important enough if you don't know these things, or you don't, you'll be stupid, or whatever that is but it doesn't feel good because it's not aligned with the values and instead it's reactive and those parts are taking over. Yeah. You know, I think
1: this feeling that you're talking about really is a good gut check for noticing when this might be happening. So when we have interactions and afterwards we have that like, ugh, that, that yuck feeling or mm-hmm. that desire to numb, mm-hmm. um, or if you run, you know, a little more anxious in temperature than maybe you're trying to check on things because of what's happened. Um, that, that somatic experience or that observation of how, how dis, mm, how, how incongruent that feels after is a good indicator that maybe those loves got out of order. Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe that the values you were letting guide you were the ones were not the right ones for that moment.
0: Right and that gets that lets us be curious okay then then what what was in charge if it wasn't my values what part of me is it the part that says i never want to be hurt again right or is it the part that says ooh that hurt and i needed to do all these things to make it go away yeah. right ooh when they said that and i didn't know the answer and i got mad and said mean things to them <laughs> Well, that's reactive. That's not who I am. That's reactive, right? So, So getting really curious about that. What are my values? How am I aligned with those? And when I am not, instead of beating myself up, instead of calling myself names, can I get curious about what part of me was in charge during that time?
1: Yeah. And, you know, within this values identification, I think that's something that you know, a lot of us have heard of, but haven't done potentially a lot of work around. And if that's the case for you, if you've not, you know, thought about what your values are quick, quick and simple, some ways that we talk about that is, um, you you can do things like a value sort, but one of the, one of the ways that I like to think about it, that was most helpful that you showed me Brooke is the givens, the ones that are just, yeah, of course, Mm -hmm. push those to the side Because if, of course, you value your faith system, then maybe you can push that to the side because it's already in working knowledge, it's habitual, it's muscle memory. We're looking at, when we're doing values work, really finding the meat of the ones that are like, ah, my safety and security flip-flops often with my Mm risk-taking and my bravery. Mm -hmm. These two I value so much, but...
0: In what order?
1: In what order? And... And that order will be different given different times of life. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really cool about the flexibility
0: of values, too. Right. One of two of my values, right, are opportunity, like mastery and opportunity and simplicity. (laughs) And those two, if I get those out of order, I, I burn myself out. Simplicity always has to come first, which means that I only say yes to life-giving and affirming opportunities, and I say no to other opportunities, which is really, really, really hard for me. Yeah. But if I flip-flop those, if I get my loves out of order, um, I feel it, I'm more reactive, I'm living in that space of protection rather than connection. Yeah. And I notice it. I notice it in my body. I notice it in my relationships. And I notice that I am not as rooted and grounded in my core self.
1: Yeah. And and for me, and maybe this leads to m- one of my takeaways that I want to offer, um, one of my top values that I have worked really hard to center is peace because i know when i value peace i act in ways and move in ways that allow exiled parts to come forward mm-hmm. so if i don't if i don't center peace and prioritize peace then that really tender sensitive emotional part of myself doesn't feel super safe to exist up front and mm-hmm. i really like her and i want her to have a safe place to live and so i choose opportunities and experiences and noise levels <laughs> that are more peaceful than not. Yeah, And so I, I guess if we you know want to move to takeaways, mine is think about how the things you value may or may not create home for parts of yourself that may have been exiled.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. I would say that my takeaway is two, two parts. One, being authentic does not mean being completely and totally open and vulnerable all the time. It doesn't mean uh, just expecting the world to accept your reactive self. Being authentic is being able to to know the wisdom to be able to move in and out of our outward life and our inward life and to know when we can do that. Mm. The way that we begin to do that is through curiosity always Mm -hmm. awareness is the first step in any change and so we become aware when we have experiences where we look back afterwards and we're like oh man where did that come from or why was i acting like that that's a good opportunity to say which of these parts was in charge and why Mm -hmm. what was i afraid was going to happen to me And that may be something like you said at the beginning of the podcast that we can float back far enough to say, oh, this is the genesis of this thing that happened to me. And now that I know I can begin to shift it. And it may be that you need to go and find somebody that can help you move through that and help you start to understand and slow down those experiences enough to know Mm. which parts are in charge and how to bring them back into alignment.
1: And... And I think we're talking about therapy being a place for that,
0: right? Yes. I mean, I think therapy is the place for just about everything, but yeah, With a few exceptions. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yes. (laughs) With a few exceptions. Um, Yeah, therapy was the place where I went when I couldn't figure out why this... Core belief just pulled me in yeah. so many ways that were not authentic, but were very protective. Um, you know, we can do this. We can do this work outside of therapy, but the Absolutely. benefit of therapy is that you have somebody who can hold up a mirror to you, who isn't intimately involved in your life, and who can say, Hey, I think I see this thing showing up. Let's talk about that a little bit.
1: Well and the absolutely and that makes me think that maybe a final takeaway is the the way that therapy can be such a safe space to explore authenticity because the risk is relatively low mm-hmm. We are trained to be non-judgmental and to hold space for the darkest dark and the lightest light and mm-hmm. that's the spaces we create and that we allow you to to inhabit here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if, if if authenticity is
0: feeling really scary, especially in your regular life, have someone help you with that. Right. Our podcast is going to go a little bit longer because I keep thinking of takeaways that I have, but I do, I, I don't know that this is a takeaway, but I think it is important. And what you said just made me think of that. We cannot live authentically if we are not willing to look at our dark. Mm. We have to be able to do that and that often feels really scary and overwhelming, and so to have a safe place where we can bring what we think is awful and terrible, where we can bring what has been so shrouded in shame for so long and bring it into the light, that's when we really begin to live authentically and not reactively.
1: Hmm. I'm really glad you extended that, that's important. Thank you as always for your letters and we will we'll be here soon.
0: Yeah, thank you. If you're interested in submitting a question or letter to the Heart of Life podcast, you can do so at our website, riverbendcolorado.com, and click on the podcast tab.
1: We would love for you to give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. By doing so, you help us make the Heart of Life podcast easier to find and more accessible for everyone.
0: We will see you next week as we walk each other home.